I recently had a conversation with a well-meaning friend who was no longer practicing the faith. This person told me that the Catholic Church could learn a lot from other non-denominational churches. He was talking about the megachurches, these great big buildings that fill thousands, seats with thousands of people uh, and make tens of thousands of dollars, some of them, each week. He mentioned the Mormon church as well, which has, in his opinion, perfected evangelization, where they go door to door, they hand out pamphlets, and they offer financial benefits to their members. As he said this, I thought, okay, he has a point. It does seem that there are other religious organizations that tend to evangelize more effectively. They have more success with conversion and numbers of butts in the seats. As I thought this, a cynical perspective influenced me, and I started considering the church Jesus' bride in a practical sense. I was thinking about numbers, effective tools for evangelization, and new ways to get people to come to church. Thinking back to this now, I cringe. I cringe because I know this is not what true evangelization is or what it looks like. Yes, of course. These can be effective tools for evangelization. And yes, I'm not a pastor, so I don't know all the technical things that go into having a parish, the financial needs, the importance of bringing people in. But this in and of itself is not evangelization. We do not truly know Jesus through pamphlets, protests, crusades, and missions. I think it's important to look at how Jesus himself operated in his ministry We look and see he went from town to town and he spoke very well. He was very good at evangelizing by the word he gave, the word of truth, what he was revealing to those. He he evangelized through uh, through his miracles, through healing many, through casting out demons. We see our Lord garner a small but sometimes failing uh, following. The most powerful, the most strong uh, following was actually the apostles, which they themselves also ended up abandoning our Lord during the crucifixion. And it's just interesting to see, because of course there were financial issues too. Our Lord, I'm sure, thought about, okay, well, we need to have enough money. Uh, We need to be able to eat food, to be at a place. We hear when he goes to Jerusalem, he actually sends the apostles ahead of time to find a place where they would stay. And in fact, they actually had a communal sack of money. They had this sack of money that they uh, shared all their wealth with. And you know who was in charge of it was actually Judas. At the beginning of today's gospel, we hear that Judas had just left to betray our Lord. He probably took the money sack with him. So <laughs> he had all the money. For worried about money and numbers, Judas took that away. But Jesus is not faltered by this. He says, now the Son of Man enters into his glorification. That rejoicing of this simple command he's about to give his apostles. It's not, well, we got to worry about numbers. Hey guys, the most effective strategy, like he's some kind of uh, what do you call it, entrepreneur, like, hey guys, this is a great strategy, we've got these new technologies, we're going to figure it out, we're going to really spread. No, he says to love, to love others as he has loved them. The reality is, then, we know Jesus through his love, that love present on the cross which put to death our sins, that love risen from the tomb which offered us new life. And that love given to us through the Holy Spirit in Christ's bride, the church. Now, you're going to hear me say love a lot. This is a love homily. 
When we hear love, we have a lot of conceptions about this. But this isn't the bubblegum uh, flavored scented candle love. This is true love. This is God's love. This is the real stuff. The stuff that people died for. The stuff that people lived for, devoted their lives, died with our Lord and were resurrected to new life for this love. As such, the greatest way to spread the gospel message then and to pursue the mission of the church is to love others as we have first been loved by Jesus. It is only by this love that we are truly recognized as Christians, what we call ourselves, followers of Christ. But it turns out, (laughs) shocker, Loving others is really, really hard. Incredibly hard. Loving people we like can be difficult. Loving ourselves sometimes seems impossible. Yet we are called by our Lord to love others as he has first loved us and continues to love us. Including the people we don't like. Especially the people we hate or we are tending towards hating. But how do we do this? Well, the answer is actually in the statement itself. Love others as we have been loved by Jesus. In order to love others, to love them well, we need to first recognize that we ourselves are loved. We call ourselves Christians because we believe in the love of Christ which conquers all things, including the impossible sin and death itself. We believe we have been redeemed from our sins by the love of Christ. We recognize that we have, in fact, been marked and wounded by our sin, but then we rejoice in the forgiveness of the healing of our sins through the saving power of God's love. This is how others recognize us as Christians, genuinely, as those who believe and follow Christ. We are recognized as a redeemed and beloved people of God who live out that love in a very real way through imitation of Christ and his love for others that goes beyond just the self. However, even though we call ourselves Christians, we still struggle to love. Just because someone calls himself or herself a Christian does not mean that they truly believe that they are redeemed and know the love of Christ. There are many examples of Christians who do more harm than help in proclaiming God's love to others. If we do not understand that we are loved, we cannot love others. If we do not know God's mercy and receive it genuinely, we cannot be merciful to others. I think a good image for this is how a puppy is raised. It's a weird analogy, but hear me out. If a puppy is neglected and abused, the puppy, when grown into an adult dog, will be aggressive and unloving towards others. If a puppy is not loved, it will not desire to love others. It may not even know what that love is. On the other hand, if a puppy is loved and raised with care, it will love others and reflect the love it received as a puppy. To be clear, I am not saying that we are puppies, that we are the same as puppies, that we are dogs. We are people. And just because we may not have been loved by others does not mean that we cannot love. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we need to know what love is, and we find that in our faith. We find that true, beautiful, incredible love of our Lord for us on the cross in our faith. The core center of our faith relies on that basic fact of God's love for us. What I mean is that we cannot love if we do not believe in this love. We do not know God's mercy and love, but call ourselves Christians 
We are living a double life. We say one thing and we are living another. When we speak of God's love, we do not speak of the the common idea of love, which tends to be a misconception of what true love is. Secular love tends to be selfish or reliant on self-satisfaction or some kind of transaction, an I love you, you love me, Barney love. The love of Jesus is present on the cross in revealing a love that goes out, a love that moves beyond the self, a love that wades through the mess and operates according to mercy. Jesus didn't have to redeem us. God didn't have to send his son to die for us. He did so as an act of pure love and mercy. We have received God's mercy undeservedly. When we truly know and understand this, that we benefit so greatly from God's mercy, only then can we love others and love them well, even the ones that don't like us or hate us. There are many who hate God, who deny his existence who may have entered into a relationship and then left that relationship in faith. But that doesn't mean our Lord doesn't love them. That God continues to love. He loves us regardless. It's up to us whether or not we live according to that relationship. But he is also calling us to that same love. Love even those who don't like us, who who hate us. Now I'm not saying that we enter into toxic relationships or friendships, but that we are called to love and desire the good of the other even if they reject that love. And it starts with us recognizing God's love, receiving that love in faith, knowing that we are beloved and loving ourselves as God loves us and finally living according to that love by loving others. And to say that I believe God loves me, yes, but like to enter into that belief as I know God loves me, that you can have someone say, I love you. And then they could also be hitting you with a baseball bat. Now, the the words mean something, yes, But to deepen the meaning of those words is more than that. Say, I believe in God, I believe he loves me, I believe all these things. But then not to live according to that is different. We are called to live according to that. We are redeemed, we are loved, we have received God's mercy. This is the new command that Jesus gives us then as his disciples. To love ourselves again as we have been loved by Christ. Again, this sounds nice, but if we do not live according to this commandment, our life as Christians is empty. I'm not saying that we are not allowed to struggle with others. Faith itself assumes that there is a struggle. What Jesus is calling us to is to recognize the gift of mercy and to truly believe it. To believe that I am loved and that I am worth it. That I am worth this in the eyes of God. And in believing that, allowing the mercy of God to overflow beyond myself and touch every aspect of my life, my home, at my work, with my family, friends, enemies, and with strangers, that in living according to God's love, we gather here not as a group of jaded strangers passing through an arbitrary worship center, but as a community of redeemed and beloved disciples entrusted with the command to love according to the living and merciful God. That is what our Lord is calling us to in the gospel and in this time of Easter, my brothers and sisters, in the midst of a cynical, uncaring, and unmerciful world. As a bit of homework for this fifth week of Easter, I encourage us to spend some time in prayer, maybe in the chapel, maybe on a walk, or in a quiet place at home, to take this time of prayer and reflect on God's mercy, to accept his love, to know of it, to pray to know of God's love, 
and to pray for the gift of healing and charity that allows us to love others as we are loved by Christ. Amen.